Welcome to the Digital Business Models Podcast, hosted by Gennaro Cofano, creator of 4WeekMBA.com. The 4WeekMBA.com is a leading resource of business insights. Top business schools around the world reference to it as the go-to place for business insights. Now it's podcast. Digital Business Models will break down for you how tech companies make money, what value propositions they offer, why they are successful, and what they're doing next. From Amazon, Google, Facebook, and many others, the Digital Business Models Podcast will give you the top business education you need to understand the digital business world. Whether you're an entrepreneur, an executive, or wanting to be an entrepreneur, the Digital Business Models Podcast is your go-to place for your business education. Today, uh, I have the pleasure uh, to have with us uh, Alberto Savoia. Uh, who is a former uh, innovation agitator and engineering director at Google, innovation lecturer uh, at Stanford, founder of uh, Prototype uh, Labs, and uh, is also the author of a book that I loved, which is uh, The Write It. Um, so why so many ideas fail and how to make uh, sure yours uh, succeed. Thank you for joining me for this conversation, Alberto. Thank you for having me, Gennaro. It's a pleasure. My pleasure. So um, it would be, it's interesting um, to start a bit from, from your story, because of course, um, you studied a lot of failures in the startup world. So it would be it's interesting to understand how you uh, got uh, passionate about, uh, you know, this, this field of study. Good. Yes. So I never set out to study failure. Uh, in fact, I thought that failure, I was immune from failure. I was very lucky to join uh, to have done uh, two successful startups, uh, VC funded. I was uh, lucky to join Sun Microsystem, a company uh, that became very successful. And I, was, uh, and I joined the company in the early days. I was also very lucky to join Google in the early days as its first engineering director, and that became very successful. So I thought for, for a while that failure is something that uh, affected other people, uh, not me. And then just as uh, my hubris reached uh, a peak, I raised $25 million in VC funding to start a company that uh, five years later uh, failed. So I thought, well, how is it possible uh, that me, Alberto Savoia, would fail? You know, wh- whatever happened, you know, I, th- I thought I was destined for success. And uh, as I write in the book, the beast of failure bit me and I decided to bite back. I decided, how is it possible that people that uh, know what they're doing, because I thought I knew what I was doing, uh, uh, can uh, can fail. So I set out to study failure and to study ways to defeat failure. And my mission these days is to help entrepreneurs and innovators uh, all over the world uh, to also fight failure and win. And that's why I wrote the book. Interesting. And, you know, uh, when you, um, like the startup world today, it's, uh, has become pretty, uh, uh, like, popular for people uh, wanting to become, you know, uh, entrepreneur. But the problem is, if you look at statistics, of course, you find out that um, uh, the, that uh, the, the failure uh, fa- failure rate it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, high compared to the success. Even though we only see success stories on on magazines and and uh, uh, you know on, on the news. So uh, you you actually at a certain point in your life you stumbled upon an idea which actually influenced a lot uh, your life, of course, uh, your professional life and the book that you wrote, which is the idea of uh, uh, prototyping. Uh, what's that? I mean, why, why is it so important? Um, how did you stumble on it? Right. So the, uh, you're right. The, the failure rate 
whether it's new companies, whether with startups or even small businesses, and even new products from existing and successful companies. I mean, the failure rate also affects the Googles and the Microsoft uh, of this world, right? So it's not uh, something that entrepreneurs and startups only fail at. But having said that, the failure rate seems to be very consistent across markets, across time. It's almost like a Pareto's principle, right? The 80-20 rule. Uh, at least a 80% and in some industry, 90% or more of new products and new businesses uh, tend to fail. So when I set out to study failure, I thought, well, why do they fail? My first instinct was that people didn't build uh, the product wrong, right? So maybe they, they, they were incompetent in uh, designing it or engineering it, if it's, a, say, a, 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 an actual product, or in uh, uh, executing if it's a service or a new company. So I thought that the, the number one problem was incompetent execution. But when I actually went and looked at the data, I found out that the number one reason why most new businesses fail, why most new products fail, has very little to do with execution. Of course, you want to execute it competently. But the number one reason they fail is because people built what I call the wrong it. What is the wrong it? It's an idea that even if competently executed, will fail in the market. So there is no amount of design, brilliance, engineering, excellent, or uh, marketing fireworks that will save uh, a product that is the wrong uh, it. So I thought, uh, okay, I want a product that is the right it, which I define as a product that, if competently executed, will succeed in the market. So I started looking at how can I make sure that the product is the right it? So I want to be sure that if I build it correctly, if I build it right, the product will succeed in the market. And the first problem I stumbled onto is the way that people conduct their market research. So nobody wakes up in the morning and says, well, I have a really bad idea for a new product or business, and I'm going to waste two years of my life building it. No, everybody thinks they have a great idea. And what they do is they go and present the idea to other people, and they collect their other people's thought uh, and opinion. So I call this market research done in thoughtland. So you ask people what they think of your idea, and they tell you good or bad, and then you proceed um, accordingly. So I thought, well, this does not work, right? Because people are really bad at predicting whether they would actually buy something, uh, how often they would use it, if they would use it at all, and how they would use it. So I thought there has to be a better, more reliable way of doing it. And that's when I stumbled into pretotapping. So pretotapping is a word I made up. Uh, and as the name suggests, it is something that you build way before you build a product but also way before you build a prototype, right? You don't actually have to build something to see if the market is interested uh, in it. Uh, so that's what prototyping stands for. It's something you do before uh, prototyping. Now, uh, yeah. sorry, you have a question? Yeah, yeah, super, super interesting. And this is a, is a, a different concept compar compared to, of course, prototyping because uh, you, you say uh, it's like uh, you, you pretend to, to have something um, even before you have a prototype, which is, I think, uh, one of the, the key points, right? That's right. So the, the key difference between pretotyping and prototyping is the following. Typically, you build a prototype to make sure that what you're planning to build can actually be built to see if it will work, how it will work, you know, how long will the battery last, et cetera, et cetera. 
So prototypes are built to, to, to make sure that you can build something. Now, my research shows that 99% of the time you can build it, right? Most of the apps, say, in an app store do not fail uh, because people cannot build them. They fail because people are not interested. Prototyping is designed to ask a very different question. It asks the question, should we build it? Meaning, if we go through the effort of building it, will people buy it? So let's pick, a, in my book, I have many, many, as you've read it, uh, many, many prototyping techniques, so we cannot cover them all. But uh, I'll give you a very simple one, since we're talking about app. So let's deal with the fact that most apps fail um, in the app store. You agree with that? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the numbers are horrendous, like 95% of them don't make uh, any money. A dime. So, yes. so let's say I have an idea for a new app that I can use to find, uh, I don't know, to help me find uh, interesting books based on my personal preferences. I'm ju I just came up with this, uh, you know, uh, on, in a flash. Uh, now, as an engineer, do you think, do you have any doubt that I could build this app? Well, um, yeah, I mean, as an engineer, you know, you can build it, of course. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, quest, the question we really need to answer is not, can I build it? So it's kind of pointless to prototype because I know I can build it. Yeah. Uh, but you, so all the uncertainty and all the risk lies not in building it, uh, but in the market wanting it. So how can I see if the market is interested in this app before I actually build it? One of the techniques I teach, one of the prototyping techniques I, I write in the book, uh, uh, it's called the YouTube prototype. So instead of actually building the, the app with code, you can use PowerPoint or Keynote or you know, any other pro program to simulate what the app will do. Right? So you can make a little video, a little movie that will show the potential users whether the, you know, what the app actually does. So you can have one screen that, where you write your name and you write the books that you like, and then you click a button and it asks for a recommendation and you see the app giving you a recommendation. You can do all of this without, without writing a single line of code, right? You can, anybody can do it. If you can use PowerPoint or Keynote, you could do that. So the way you do it is you create a video with that, and then maybe you, you have a one- or two-page website, something very simple, where you describe what your app does, uh, shows, uh, shows the video of the app, and then what you need to do is to uh, show that to people and see if you can collect what I call some skin-in-the-game data. So skin-in-the-game data means not people telling you, oh, yeah, if you build it, I will buy it. Uh, they need to give you something. So the smallest amount of skin-in-the-game somebody can give you is an, a valid email address with a clear understanding that you will use that address to let them know if the app is ready. So imagine you have this video. You, uh, you either buy some ads or you put it on some uh, blog post or on some forums. You say, okay, here's, a, here's an app I'm planning to build. If you are interested, please give me your email address. And once I launch it, uh, I will let you know. So the data you get there is, you know, if you show it to 1,000 people and you get three mail address, addresses, you know, that's probably going to be unlikely that there's a great demand for, uh, for it. But at least you have some hard data. And if you don't find that enough people want it, then you do not bother building it. Does it make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It makes uh, total sense. And uh, what you're saying, of course, is that the, the feasibility risk in this case is, is way, way lower, way lower compared to the market risk, which is the market will uh, 
not want uh, the, the product that you're going to build. And actually, um, recently I've done a, a similar experiment on my blog where I, I actually thought that uh, the audience from my blog would uh, like more a book from me rather than an online course. And so what I did, I opened up a, a wait list um, uh, saying that, you know, the, 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 the product, the, the book or the course was coming out just to see where people were uh, getting more, uh, was getting more traction. It was interesting to me finding out that actually people wanted the online course more than book, even though I assumed that there was the, the opposite scenario. So right now I am prioritizing more on building the online course rather than going for the book, even though the first uh, idea was to uh, build a book first. So there, there was a bit of my prototyping uh, experiment. And there is actually a, an interesting example, uh, which uh, I think can enlighten you uh, to find out about this concept, which is, I think, the text-to-speech uh, um, uh, example, which uh, is, is, uh, is very interesting. Um, like, can you tell us just just a bit about uh, the, the the first time that you found out about this concept? Sure. Yeah, I'll tell you about text to speech in a second. But before that, I, I want to congratulate you for actually doing the experiment and acting upon the data. W one of the reasons people fail, you know, entrepreneurs fail and innovators fail, is because they fall in love with their idea. So maybe you had fallen in love with the idea of writing a book. Yes. Instead, what you should do is fall in love with the problem or the opportunity. So your opportunity is to help other you know, entrepreneurs and innovators. Uh, and it turns out in this case for you that uh, this uh, online uh, seminar is a better way of writing the book, right? So fall in love with the problem that you want to solve, but then be flexible as to how you approach it. So I just, just on the side, I wanted to congratulate you for putting you. these ideas into practice, which is not easy. A lot of people just fall in love with the idea. If you fall in love with the idea of a book, you would have pursued that and you would not have served either the market yep. or yourself. Thanks. Now, back to the example of the IBM uh, speech-to-text example. So uh, many, many years ago, uh, IBM thought, we want everybody to have personal computers, but they thought, there is no way, think about this is like 1980, that most people are going to learn how to use a keyboard, right? In those days, who used a keyboard? Uh, uh, secretaries, programmers, and writers. So they thought, we need to be able to, to allow people to operate the computer without learning a keyboard, just by using speech-to-text into a microphone. Of course, they could not build the technology. They couldn't build the prototype for years because the technology was not there. Computers were not fast enough. So, but they thought, okay, maybe we want to make this investment. How can we make sure that people will actually want to use a, a, a microphone exclusively to interact with the computer? So they did a very clever thing. They brought people in the room. They gave them a microphone and there was a screen in front of that microphone and told them, look, this is a new way of uh, running a computer. There is no keyboard. You just speak to it uh, and give it a shot and tell us what you think. So, for example, uh, somebody says, uh, takes a microphone and dictate letter to Mr. Jones and then dear Mr. Jones, uh, so on and so forth. And on the screen, they would see exactly their commands and the letter being written and the letter being uh, sent. Now, this was not possible, right? The technology was not there. So they could not have built a prototype. So what happened? In the room next door, instead of a computer that actually did all this processing, there was a human being, you know, one of those people who know how to type very fast. They got the input through the headphone, typed it on their keyboard. And so to the users, it looked as if they, there was a working prototype, but there wasn't. 
right? And uh, the interesting thing, that's when I came up with the name pretotyping. Originally, I called it a pretendotype because I thought they haven't built something that actually works. They're pretending to have a prototype. So let's call it a pretendotype. Then I shorted the name to pretotype. And the beauty of this is that they got some really valuable data. So for example, they learned that people cannot talk to a computer for several hours a day because they're, they're, they get a sore throat. Uh, it's also very loud if everybody speaks at the computer. And also you cannot use it for confidential things because everybody overhears you. So they learned very quickly, they got very valuable data that while speech to text may be interesting, they better focus on, uh, uh, you know, on, on uh, accepting the fact that people will have to learn a keyboard. And surprisingly enough, 40 years later, we've all learned how to use keyboards, even though arguably they're not a, a very efficient way of using a computer. Yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant story. Um, there is, a, as, you, as you highlighted before, uh, which I think it's a critical point, is that failure is not something that affects only startup, but it's something that affects also large companies like, like Google, of course. And also the rate of failure is not something that changes according to the stage of the company, actually. Uh, also large companies have to keep uh, failing uh, in some way to actually innovating. And in, in fact, I was looking a few weeks back at the Google, Google Graveyard, which is a set of, um, of um, uh, pro- products that Google has killed because they, they actually failed uh, miserably. So um, uh, when, you went, uh, when you went back to Google to, to be... Uh, to understand and to help people like uh, understanding how to embrace failure because it's not easy also, I guess, for people uh, inside a company like Google to say, you're going to work on this innovative product because it's still risky. You want to work on more like, as you explained in the book, you want to work more in the, in the already established product like Gmail. So uh, how did you manage to get your ideas uh, uh, you know, accepted within Google? How did you manage to actually spread them? How did you manage to help people embrace projects which uh, were highly risky for their career? Well, good. Yeah. So, you know, uh, there is an expression at Google, which I write about in the book, and that expression is data beats opinion, right? So the way, the way that you convince people at Google is not by waving your hands and being passionate about what you believe. Uh, I mean, of course, that helps. But the best way to make your case is with data. And fortunately, when it comes to failure, we have so much data, right? Because most, most new ideas fail. So I had no shortage of data. And I was able to you know, slowly and initially convince various people at Google to pay attention to, my, to this mantra, which is make sure you're building the right it before you build it, uh, before you build it right. So the problem is not that uh, new projects are going to fail, right? Because it's much more exciting to work on a new product even a Google that succeeds than one that is already successful, right? So, you know, Gmail is safe, but isn't it more fun to work on a brand new sexy project, which also succeeds. So the, the way you beat failure, the way you overcome this reluctance to, to take risks on new projects is to make the point with data to say, look, we're going to build this project, but we're not going to ask you to spend two years to build it just to watch it fail before we build it. Let's do a series of these experiments to give us very high confidence that if we invest two years to build it, it will then uh, succeed. And that's how initially I introduced it at, uh, at Google. And by the way, I'm not the only one at Google that thinks this way, right? As I say in the book, I, I didn't invent many of these methods, but I collected 
I gave them name. I'm kind of a more of a curator and teacher and organizer of this technique. So uh, I want to be clear. I don't want to take credit. This way of acting at Google and many other companies based on data, not opinions, uh, is something that uh, a lot of people already do. I just organize it and explain it. Hopefully what, what you, you believe uh, is in a clever, interesting, and memorable way in my book. Interesting. And as you, as you said, uh, it's very important that you get out to, uh, to, to what you call the Thoughtland and just uh, to, to, uh, to push your idea um, and make sure that you have data, uh, valuable data. There is data that you collected, which can help you actually uh, understand whether you can go on with, the, with the making the product. Um, right. That's, that's good. So if you, if you don't mind, I want to emphasize that because that's one of the most important things I cover in the book. The, the idea of Th- Thoughtland is a place where you create your ideas. And then if you stay in Thoughtland means that you're just going asking people, what is your opinion of your idea? And that's very dangerous because people, as we discussed, we, they don't know what their opinion is. Right? They have a very hard time uh, predicting. So you want to get out of Thoughtland and you want to collect, and this is very important, your own data. Uh, Think about Elon Musk, right? One of the great inventors and innovators and entrepreneurs of recent times. When he thought about Tesla, if you looked at other people's data, all the other people, that companies that tried to build electric cars and failed, he probably would have said, there's no way to succeed in this market. Instead, he created his own data. He had his own vision for a very sexy and very fast electric car. And he collected his own data. Uh, in fact, he prototyped it. I explain how in the, in the book, but essentially he got people to pay ahead of time to give him money before building the car because he wanted to some evidence that if he actually built it, that people would want it. And what better evidence than having checks for $5,000 from people uh, to demonstrate that they really, really, really want your electric car. Absolutely. Um, I just would like to, to finish up uh, on a couple of quick questions. Um, is there any other book that together with the Write It uh, would make a good companion book, uh, like, I mean, on the, on the business side, uh, that um, uh, can help our audience uh, also getting better in this process? Yes, I, th- I think there are uh, two books by, by people with whom I interact that kind of the, the, we, we complement um, uh, we each other. To be clear, I focus on the very, very beginning. I call it the big bang from when you have an idea to making sure that you get the first step right. So because the most important thing is to make sure you have the right idea. But two books come immediately to mind to complement mine. Uh, the first one is called The Lean Playbook by Dan Olson. So uh, whereas I focus very, very much on the f- very first step, making sure that the idea is right, uh, Lan gives, uh, uh, Dan gives you a playbook uh, for the um, for follow-up steps. And another new uh, recent book uh, is called uh, Unlearn. And, uh, and Unlearn is, uh, the, is a very important book because you cannot, um, you cannot take on new principles if you're not willing to unlearn uh, previous, uh, uh, previous principles. And I'll send you the link to both of those, uh, uh, those books. The, 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 the key to unlearn is the, the following. And in my context, the number one thing you have to unlearn is do not do market research in Thoughtland. Instead of asking the question, if I build it, will you buy it? You need to flip it around 180 degrees and approach the market with the following research question. 
if you buy it, we will build it. Sort of like uh, how Elon Musk did it. And pre-totapping is a way to, to, to be able to ask that question and collect that market data. Yep. Okay. And, uh, you know, based on what we said, I guess uh, that in terms of business people, if there is like one entrepreneur that uses just to follow courses, uh, Elon Musk, is there any other uh, entrepreneur or like business person that you suggest uh, recommend like following? Uh, I, I can just, nobody off the top of my, uh, of my head, you know, everybody has their own, especially depending on what market you're in, you should focus on the, on the market that you're in. And look at people who have been successful there. But again, follow their um, follow their inspiration, but do not follow exactly in their footsteps because what worked for them is unlikely to work for you. Collect your own data about your own project so you can do things your own way. Yep. So uh, what's, uh, what are you working next? Well, I'm, uh, right now I'm busy trying to get the book into as many hands as possible because I, my mission these days is to make sure to save entrepreneurs and innovators from failure. I believe that innovators and entrepreneurs are the world's number one resource, right? We're, we're the one that are going to fix a lot of the problems that we, that we create in the world. And so my, my mission is pretty simple. Help them uh, f- uh, fight failure. The book is a, is a first step. It's like your 101 uh, uh, fighting failure 101. So I'm just busy getting getting out and spreading the message and I appreciate your help in uh, spreading this particular message. I'm I'm, uh, very happy to help and of course I'm suggesting this book to everyone especially in the For We Can Be a Community. Uh, The Write It is a great book uh, and you know it gave me the idea on how to prototype on the launch of my next product so it's going to be it's been like great reading it's going to be great reading for uh, many other people. Uh, Thank you Uh, thanks a lot for joining me for this conversation Alberto. Thank you, Gennaro. It's been a pleasure. Good luck to you and good luck to all your listeners. May you always find the right it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Digital Business Models Podcast, created by 4WeekMBA.com, the leading source of business insights for those wanting to become digital entrepreneurs. Go to 4WeekMBA.com for more top-tier business education.